Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra. And me, Father David Pelican, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of Men of the Hearts podcast. Today we have on our second guest of the show. If you haven't heard our first guest, it was the Archbishop Alan Vigneron. That was our ep- third episode, so please check that out if you haven't. Uh, our second guest uh, is a priest that I was in the seminary with for a number of years. I looked up to him, not not only because he's a whole head taller than I am, but, you know, he was about four <laughs> years ahead of me in, uh, in the seminary, and um, he just was one of those guys that you looked at and said, he's going to make a, he's going to be a good priest. And and I want to look at what he does and kind of follow what he does because he just, you could tell he was going to be one of the good ones. And he is. Um, and he's had a number of different assignments. He's been in a couple of different parishes. He was the secretary to the archbishop. He's on the formation team here at the seminary. He teaches at the seminary as well. And he's going to start a new role quite soon as the vice rector. This is Father Charlie Fox. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. It's really good to be with you. Um, and I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's glad to have you on. And as always, Father David is with us as well. How are you doing today, Father David? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Excited to to welcome Father Fox to the podcast. Uh, I was, as I think our listeners mostly know, I was a seminarian for eight years. And for a good chunk of that, uh, Father Fox was uh, at seminary in many roles. He was formator. He was my basketball coach for a year. Wow. And was often known to uh, tell me to fly like a pelican or comment that the pelican has sprung wings. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's great. That's great. What he you... was, he was also, um, he was also in charge of uh, like liturgy at Sacred Heart for a little while. And I was one of the masters of ceremony. So we worked together in that role as well a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to think of the different, you know, roles that we play in and actually just our relationship. So I looked up to Father Charlie as he was four years ahead of me. And uh, you had him always as someone who was looking down on you just to make sure that you were doing well. <laughs> Not only in your basketball, but in, in, in your seminary life. And if you were reaching your goals and if you were able to move on to the next year, because of course, every year you're getting evaluated. So how does it feel to have Father Fox now as uh, your peer instead of your form hater <laughs> well you know i i don't it's good it's good <laughs> it's good uh good to be brothers in the priesthood and uh and see you here although you still kind of feel like a form hater, just seeing you on the screen there not good i understand i was in the same position 15 years ago so i remember it well yep <laughs> So, Father Fox, before we get into your vocation story, um, what has been a blessing for you this past month? You know, I know the semester has just ended and you're starting something new at the seminary. Uh, you do a vocation, not a vocation, you do a preaching boot camp uh, with some of the seminarians. So, you know, how are things going for you? Any blessings that you've received over the last month? Well, uh, a couple. Um, first of all, you mentioned the preaching boot camp, which is the first stage in our formation for the men in terms of their homiletic preaching, uh, their preaching of homilies, especially at mass. And we bring in a couple of theater professors from uh, U of D Mercy. And um, 
They help the men to develop basic speaking skills um, to become more comfortable in their own skin when they're doing public speaking, um, to articulate mm -hmm. words uh, better, um, you know, to give speeches more effectively. And then we sort of move them into things that more particularly have to do with preaching itself. Um, and so it's been really good to be able to do that program because last year, due to COVID, we were not able to. So that's been a blessing, taking another yeah. step towards getting back to normal, or at least normal, the yeah. new normal. Well, I had one of the seminarians in my office uh, this afternoon, and I was asking him about the preaching boot camp and it, what was going on with it. How was he doing? And he's like, "It's it's it's a lot. They're really stretching me." And he's like, "It's like it's really good that we're doing this." And I guess you have a couple of theater people that kind of help them along as well, correct? We do, and I know it stretches the men, and I try to be very clear with them that I'm aware of that. You know, it's it's okay to ask people for a lot but you need to show that you're aware that you're asking them for a lot. And then the yeah. men are really willing to do a lot for you and more importantly for Christ, because it helps a great deal uh, to do this kind of groundwork before they start taking, we have two homiletics classes, as you know, in our uh, school of theology. And it really helps to get some of these basics out of the way before we have those homiletics classes, because then we can deal with things more having to do with the message itself, with the liturgical context of their preaching, um, things that have more to do with homilies specifically, rather than um, public speaking in a more general sense. Yeah, like look at the congregation, don't look at your notes. And I remember the first time I had note cards and, and I put them down and I told the congregation, I'm going to preach without my... Uh, note cards today. And of course, I <laughs> got messed up and I had to go to the altar and I had note cards there and read it and they all laughed and it became a moment. Um, but I think that moment helped me to realize that I could be open and real with the congregation and it was okay to make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes make you more human and it connects you to your parishioners. So yeah, really good stuff. Father David, what have what have you been doing the last month? What uh, Anything special? I know you don't go to Costco anymore, or at least pick up any good Costco stuff. What's with that? <laughs> Man, I've, I've just, you know, sometimes life gets busy. Uh, I did make a quick Costco run, but uh, nothing really, really jumped out at me new to try this year, uh, this month. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a good month though. May uh, we just had our confirmations and we had first communions, and uh, so actually one of the blessings for me was we had two first communion masses just with COVID trying to split the kids up and everything, and I was I was able to uh, celebrate one of those. So that was a yeah. really a beautiful time just seeing the kids. You know, the kids you've seen them in school so much, you've seen them getting so excited for that day just come to that day and receive Jesus for the first time. And you said that you got to be in their class throughout most of the year. So you were telling me some stuff beforehand about like, show, show me what love is all about. And, and what did they do? Oh, I'm, I'm very proud. My, my second graders, if I, if I ask them for, to give me a good definition of love, they don't say anything. They point at Jesus on the cross. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, that's awesome. Hey, if they can remember that, that's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So. Yeah. Our listeners might not know also, I opened the garage one day and here is uh, Father David with his circular saw, uh, just cutting some wood up in the garage. You know, what are you doing there, <laughs> Father David? And he was uh, making something. You want to tell us what you were doing? 
Uh, I was I was attempting to make a bluebird house actually. Attempting. Um, yeah, it turned out pretty well. I uh, I just did a little um, project with a group of young adults, and uh, it was carpentry for the year of Saint Joseph. And uh, so I, I had remembered building bluebird houses with my dad, and uh, wanted to make sure that I actually remembered how to do it before uh, for the actual event. Um, and I I think I pulled it off okay. So. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Father Fox, do you want me to call you Father Charlie or Father Fox? We didn't we didn't discuss that beforehand. Uh, whatever you do for yourselves <laughs> is good for me. All right. Well, Father Fox, it just rolls off my tongue a lot better. <laughs> um, do you have any uh, special gifts that you, you do yourself? Uh, anything working with your hands or anything? Oh, I have all kinds of special gifts. Let me tell you about them <laughs> at great length and in great detail. <laughs> You know, I really, I really enjoy writing. Um, I don't have any talents uh, musically or in terms of being handy or any of that sort of thing, but I do enjoy writing very much. And so um, I've been publishing lots of articles lately in different Catholic publications, including our own Detroit Catholic. And um, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. It's a way of exercising the teaching ministry of a priest and hopefully inspiring a pe- people a little bit. And um, it's very helpful for me to have a connection outside the seminary. As much as I love working in seminary formation, um, it's really good to be connected to the wider Catholic community in that way. Yeah. I think you're a wonderful writer. I actually had that in my notes to talk about. Like, I know that you're an amazing writer. And there's some rumors going around that when you were a seminarian, you used to uh, put out uh, an underground magazine <laughs> called The Crumbling Tower. And I think you exposed the fake doctorate of Dr. Smoothie. Uh, is that true? I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny those allegations. I can only say that the editorial quality of the underground newspaper at that time was of the very highest caliber. It was. And Dr. Smoothie <laughs> was exposed. For those who don't know, we actually had a smoothie machine in the refectory uh, in the cafeteria there at the seminary. And it wasn't like a healthy smoothie. It was basically like a Slurpee type thing. And <laughs> it never worked. But Dr. Smoothie was on front of it saying, you need your smoothie today. <laughs> well, and speaking did. of uh, matters cafeterial, uh, we also were, I mean, the underground newspaper editorial team was also able <laughs> to get fancy cat sup out of the um, cafeteria menu and we had Heinz ketchup from that point on. So yeah, instead of fancy ketchup. <laughs> a lot a lot of good was done. A great accomplishment. Father Fox. <laughs> now Father Fox, you said you had no musical talent. And I have to correct you there. You do have a music related talent of knowing and being able to name or recognize just about every theme song from a certain era. Am I, am I right about well, that? Well, it has been said this, that uh... <laughs> I'm very good at identifying um, uh, theme songs from TV shows in the 1980s. So it's a very yes. specific <laughs> skill to have. But if things are getting kind of dull at a banquet I'm attending and the table I'm sitting at is getting <laughs> desperate for conversation, sometimes I will pull that out of my bag of tricks and... <laughs> Whether the looks I get are looks of admiration or uh, horror, I'm not sure, but people definitely take notice. 
<laughs> well, I remember you you have a wide w- array of knowledge of pop culture in the 80s and 90s. So we might quiz you on some of that a little bit later on. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with me? Um, yeah, you know, not much has been going on. I took a vacation and didn't do anything on my vacation. So it was one of those things where I just sat around. Father David knows I was watching a lot of TV, <laughs> doing anything productive. And sometimes those are the best vacations. I did have a very interesting conversation with a man uh, as I was waiting for my food in line. There was just, they were kind of behind. I was getting sushi, by the way. And they were kind of behind. And this one guy was sitting there for an hour, or at least he told me it was an hour. And, and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, you take about an hour and a half. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, I work at a crematorium and you would take an hour and a half. I'm like, that's really interesting. (laughs) And he started like looking at people and saying he would take that long and this person would take this long. And his whole look at life was looking how long it would take to cremate people. And I just thought that was kind of interesting that that was his view of the world. interesting guy to talk to. I just, it made me think about how when the Lord says, if your eye is sound, then your whole body was sound. And what is the lens that we look at different things? And his lens was what he does when he works at his, you know, crematorium and and for funerals. And we should be looking Hmm. always about what, what the Lord wants us to be looking at and to see the goodness in people and how we can help and how we can be the Lord to other people. So I just thought I'd share that with you. And then also we have, uh, our ordinations coming up. We have three ordinations, mm-hmm. two on one day and an, another one the week afterwards. And two of the ordinations are for uh, two older uh, guys. Um, they went to a different seminary than Sacred Heart. They went to St. John the 23rd, and it's a seminary specifically for older vocations, those who are over 30, uh, all the way up into their 50s and 60s. So uh, for any of our older guys listening out here who uh, might think they might have a vocation to the priesthood, uh, that there are different uh, places to be looking at uh, in the future. So um, we, we do work with older men as well. So Father Fox, uh, you know, I, I, don't rem- I don't ever remember hearing your vocation story. I don't really know how you came to get into the seminary. So it would be wonderful if you just want to share with us what you want to share. I'm sort of preoccupied by what your crematorium friend might say when he saw me put me in and then go to bed and wake up in the morning and hope I was finished or something. Uh, That's not true. Um, Yeah, you know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family uh, here in mostly the city of Detroit, but, uh, you know, we did live for a good while in Redford Township as well. And um, so I'm local. And went to Catholic schools uh, in Redford, St. Agatha, which no longer exists, sadly, but was a great Catholic school at the time. And then St. Valentine, um, which is still in Redford, and um, then went to St. Agatha High School. Uh, At the time, that parish had a high school as well. And it was natural for me to think about the priesthood. I, lit, I was in a family that encouraged thinking about the priesthood, but my parents were always very careful not to push. And that might sound obvious now, but there was a time in Irish Catholic families when it was typical for some young men to be identified as potential priests and nudged in that direction. And yeah, yeah, my we got to pa- give one. <laughs> yeah, and my parents were very careful not to do that. 
Um, and they, yet they were encouraging. And we certainly lived our Catholic faith, um, went to Mass every Sunday. And that was really, I mean, if there's a, a way to sort of boil down the message of my vocation, it's that it has been inspired by and um, driven by the Holy Eucharist. Uh, mm -hmm. The celebration of Sunday Mass was at the heart of my own family's practice of the faith. Um, I thought our parish was a little slice of heaven on earth when I was a boy. I loved Catholic school, um, had a strong devotion to the Blessed Mother. And then, you know, lots of that went away um, in later junior high and then through high school. Um, I never stopped practicing the faith, but just wasn't nearly as fervent about it and um, became interested in other possible careers, including journalism or I thought about law school for a while and um, also thought very seriously about getting married and having a family. So I did give that vocation really close, serious consideration. And um, that kind of continued through a few years of college. And then at some point, a couple of things happened. Um, one was that I went to confession in a more serious way for the first time in a long time. And by that, I mean, I haven't re hadn't really given a lot of thought to my confessions for several years. And I made sure this time to confess everything, to put it all before the Lord, which we all know is essential for receiving God's forgiveness, that we confess every more serious or mortal sin that we're aware of um, in order to be forgiven. But I hadn't... You know, it, that wasn't so clear in my mind through high school. And so yeah. in college, I did make a big confession at St. Valentine. Um, and um, I remember it was to Monsignor Gerald Flanagan, who was a really great <laughs> uh, priest. Now he's he's died a few years ago, but God rest him. But um, he was really, really a good confessor and um, helped me a ton, even in that one confession. And so that happened, and at around the same time, I began reading the Bible more regularly, and I remember sitting in my parents' um, library one evening, and I was reading Matthew's Gospel, and it was, you know, I was just reading texts like, um, what good does it do you to gain the whole world and forfeit your life, or what can you give in exchange for your life? And it was sort of like one of those scales falling out of your eyes moments where I realized that if I really believed everything I said I believed, especially like in the profession of faith at Sunday Mass, if I really believed all of that, then it had to make more of a difference in my life. It was illogical for it to make so little difference in my life as it had done for several years up to that point. And that was another big catalyst, um, just kind of having that intellectual realization that, that I did believe those things and that they ought to make more of a difference. And so I began praying much more regularly, even began praying the rosary. Um, I had a job, I'm sort of you know, bringing together a few years of experiences, but it was around that time that I had a job where I was able to pray the rosary in the car pretty regularly. So mm. I just turned off those mm. 80 songs and, um, you know, for 15, <laughs> 20 minutes and would pray the rosary as I was driving around Metro Detroit. 
Is this after or, or still while you're in college? This would have been just after college. You know, okay. the earlier experiences of confession and, you know, that moment in my parents' house, that was towards the end of college. Okay. Um, and so I automatically began thinking about the seminary again, um, but took my time. You know, I, I still was really attracted to the possibility of marriage and family life. And um, so I just prayed and began to pray more and more. And then I started to go to daily mass at St. Valentine. And, you know, the people there were so faithful and are so faithful, although many of them have died since. Um, they inspired me a lot. And just being at mass every day and receiving Holy Communion, all of that made a huge difference in my life. Um, you know, as you grow closer and closer to the Lord, you are almost inevitably going to discover his will, which is to say you're going to discover what it means when he says to you as an individual, come and follow me. Um, and growing closer to him in the Eucharist was really the key for me. In fact, to fast forward a little bit, um, I had been going back and forth for a while about whether to enter the seminary. And... At one point in December of 1999, I remember I went to visit one of my cousins in New York City. And this was at a time when, you know, in the late 90s, obviously, when travel was getting a lot cheaper and a lot of people my age were traveling a lot and getting lots of life experiences and often going to live in a city, you know, just to work at any old job, but get the experience of living in a city and sort of soaking up all those experiences. And I thought about doing that, moving to New York and just kind of gaining life experience points. And I had fallen away from the practice of going to daily mass. Hmm. Now in January of 2000, for some reason, I began going to daily mass again. And at this time I'm living in Lapeer, which is about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half north of Detroit. And hmm. I was working at a little newspaper up there um, as a journalist, and I began going to daily mass again. And within a month, I was sitting in the office of the then uh, vocations director, your predecessor, uh, Bishop Robert Fisher, and um, getting ready to apply for the seminary. And so again, it was just sort of like being closer to the Eucharist meant being closer to discovering God's will for my life. And having yeah. the strength to follow through on it. Because, you know, for me, I mean, for everybody, but at that time in my life, both of those things were essential. That I had the Lord's help to know what he wanted of me, but also having the strength to say yes. Um, because that part's not automatic. I mean, Jesus invites, you know, he calls, I would say, actually. That's a better word than invites. Um, you know, he calls us to come and follow him. And we ought to do it. We need to do it, but he doesn't force us to do it. But he yeah, did give me the strength. And that's, that was essential. Yeah. You want to explain a little bit? Uh, Cause I get guys asking me this as well of like, yeah, I want to get closer to the Eucharist and yeah, I'll go to Eucharistic adoration or go to mass more often. I mean, how was the Lord speaking to you were you growing closer to the Eucharist? How was the, like, what did you hear? Did you hear an like, audible voice in your head? You just felt more at peace when you thought about the vocation? Like, what was going on at that time with you? 
I did not hear an audible voice. <laughs> the only time the, uh, the, that did happen once, um, mm. but not till much later. So fast forward to uh, what we call Theology 3, which is the second wow. to last year of six years of seminary formation in my case. Um, mm -hmm. And I was having some doubts about whether God was really calling me to the priesthood. And this, so this is very late in the game to be yeah. having second thoughts. And I only, heard, you know, and when I say heard, I mean, I don't know if it would have been recorded on my microphone here, um, but I, mm -hmm. it was very clear to me that I was hearing, you know, with my ears, with my mind, with my heart, one word, and that was no, and <laughs> which is a funny thing to hear from the Lord. Um, you know, you think Jesus always says yes, you know, he, he's always positive, <laughs> but it was like God was saying to me that these doubts are not coming from me. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what the no meant, like, shut that off. That's not from mm -hmm. me. Uh, stay on the course. And, um, you know, I brought that to my spiritual director. I mean, that's a huge help if you can yeah. get guidance in this process of discernment and commitment. Mm -hmm. um, to get some guidance to help know the Lord's voice is really important. And um, that made it much clearer to me that I was called, that I was having normal doubts, uh, temptation to turn away, and that I was not supposed to do that, that that was not from God, and that I was supposed to keep going towards the priesthood. Um, yeah. mm. But in all other cases, it was about being close to the Lord. You know, sort of like that image at the Last Supper of um, John the Apostle laying his head against, you know, Jesus's chest, um, mm -hmm. you know, in those mm -hmm. intimate moments for all the apostles gathered around him at the Last Supper. But it's that kind of intimacy where you can communicate with the Lord on a deeper level. You know, in, in that passage in John's gospel, they actually ask John to speak to Jesus for them at one point. And that's the kind of closeness you yeah. get when you're attending daily mass and engaged in adoration and just spending time with the Lord, you know, giving him your time. Mm -hmm. um, your commitment, commitment becomes deeper. Uh, Jesus becomes who he is, you know, Emmanuel, God with us in a more vibrantly, richly felt way. And in that closeness, you just gradually, step-by-step, step, discover his will. And again, get the strength to commit. commit we, yeah. we talk all the time about discernment, and that's essential. But we need discernment and commitment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important, too, of, as you said, getting closer to the Lord, being like John laying on his breast and and, and just being close to the Lord and just his heart. And, and when you are in the presence of your friends for a long time, you just know when your friend's angry or he's not, or, you know, or they want to leave or they want to stay at the party you're at or whatever's going on. And, and I think the more we spend time with the Lord, even if we're not saying anything that the Lord is still speaking to us. And that when these movements come to us of like, Hey, you might have a vocation to the priesthood or, Hey, I want you to reach out into the deep, you know, and maybe try this mission trip or do this, that because you've been with the Lord, you know, that that's his voice. He says, my sheep will know my voice mm -hmm. and, and you will not know 
the Lord's voice unless you spend time with him. So I just highly, highly, highly encourage anybody who's thinking about the priesthood. You, you got to go to mass more often. You got to be by the Eucharist. You got to do Eucharistic mm-hmm. adoration or at least be in the church with the physical presence of the Eucharist and the tabernacle. So I'm glad you brought that up, Father Fox, because that's that's such a key thing to be doing when you're discerning. If I might just add one point, you know, we ask the question, you know, does the Lord speak to us in words as we're growing closer to him in the Eucharist? And the answer is absolutely the words of Scripture. I mean, that's the word of Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. And so to read Scripture is to discover God's will for humanity, but also for ourselves. And so Scripture and Eucharistic adoration and, and closeness are very intimately connected to each other. We need both of them in order to grow closer to the Lord. Yeah, and how special it is now that you can have all of these apps with the Bible on it. You can listen to Bible in a year. They've got YouTube videos about commentary. It's just, yeah, you need to be very close to it. I remember when when I was thinking about the priesthood, um, for a whole year, if not more, I carried around my Bible everywhere I went. It just was a part of me, and I just opened it up all the time. And I, I still have that Bible and the pages are just crimped and wet with holy water and everything because I, just, <laughs> I carried it with me everywhere. Um, yeah. And it was just always a reminder that God is speaking to us. Father David, did you ever, ever experience like that? Or like, was scripture really important to you at that time? I I would say both both of those things, both scripture and the Eucharist. And especially for me, it was mass and adoration. Um but but I think both of those things were were just essential for for I think what you're both articulating is like just becoming familiar with the Lord, where you know you're you're comfortable in his presence and you start to recognize um just the ways he speaks in your life. Um yeah, I when I first told um, my pastor that I was thinking about becoming a priest, he recommended that I read scripture for 15 minutes every evening. And I started doing that, you know, not perfectly. Um, I'd skip days or weeks sometimes, but uh, just to start to form that habit. And then times, I always loved serving Mass because I was even closer to what was going on there. Yeah. And and I think both of those things were just, um, you know, hindsight 2020, but they were preparing me for that vocation and to be able to to recognize and respond to it. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that being an altar server. I didn't start altar serving until I was 24 years old. So you're never mm. too old to start to become an altar server. And I encourage that as well. Oh, well, Father Fox, did you like ask for any signs b- before you entered the seminary? W- was there something that you were looking for? Or was there a particular fear that you had to overcome before you really said yes and, and made it to the vocation office? No. It would be easy to say yes, uh, but no, I I wasn't looking for a sign. What I was looking for is the inner sense of clarity and certainty. You know, when we talk about discernment, sometimes we use the technical terms, um, you know, moral certitude versus absolute certitude. And without diving too deeply into those waters, The point is to say what we're looking for is a kind of moral certitude where I believe this to be true enough that I'm ready to commit my life to it. 
you know, um, so it's not two plus two equals four kind of certitude. That's absolute certitude. But moral certitude is just as strong and even stronger. You know, it's the kind of certitude that says, for example, my mother loves me. Now, I have not had a DNA test to prove that Rosemary Fox <laughs> is my mother, but I know she is my mother and I know she loves me and I'm ready to live or die on that truth. And mm. that's the kind of certitude we're looking for ultimately. Now, that's you don't need to be quite that far along in order to enter the seminary. What you need mm. is a sense of confidence that there's a good possibility God is calling you to the priesthood and that he is calling you to step into it a little bit more, to give it more of an intensive try. Um, and in today's world, with all the pressures that act against a priestly vocation, that inclination to enter seminary by itself is a very good and strong piece of evidence. Um, so sometimes, you know, men want so much from the Lord, whether it's signs or a really strong and clear word from him. And sometimes they don't realize that the very fact that they're taking a vocation to the priesthood so seriously and think it might be a good fit for them is already in itself a really important piece of evidence. Now, it's not decisive by itself. You know, further discernment is needed. But you also can't just sort of set that aside and then say, well, now I'm going to begin my discernment. Well, no, the fact that you even want to discern in this world is already a piece of evidence. And so, you know, we need to take all of this into account. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to look at like huge signs, just everyday life of, hey, why is it that you're going to mass every single day? Hey, why is it that you read the Bible every mm -hmm. single day? I mean, we all should be, you know, doing to some extent more than just coming to our Sunday obligation. But yeah, you know, signs can speak volumes and they don't have to be ones where we levitate and God speaks to us or comes down to us. Well, and if I might add, um, in with my background, as I was saying, in an Irish Catholic family, sort of the default position was, if you feel called to holiness, you're probably called to the priesthood. And so what hmm. I had to do actually was discern carefully to make sure that I understood that it's possible to be called to holiness without being called to the priesthood, you know, not yeah. automatically to join those two together. And so some of my discernment had to be stepping back a little bit from the priestly vocation in order to recognize, listen, all of us are called to holiness. And so this, you know, mm -hmm. conversion experience I've had as a young adult could be a call to marriage and family, but to do that in a holy way, which would make perfect sense, mm -hmm. um, rather than automatically thinking it meant a priestly vocation. But then, of course, through the years, I discovered yes. it does mean a priestly vocation. Yeah, that's awesome the way you put it. You're giving uh, Father David a run for his money as resident smart person um, <laughs> who made it through seminary with all A's. Uh, we could tell that you, know, you certainly know your stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, you know, we did ask about signs and we asked about maybe fears and different things like that. But um, what was your life like during the seminary? Like what was going on in, in your spirituality and, you know, discernment doesn't stop once you make it in. So what was that like for you? The first two years were heaven on earth. 
honestly, I loved the mm-hmm. seminary at the beginning. Um, and that's not a lead up to then I hated it. <laughs> um, but there was something really special about those first couple of years. It was something about mm-hmm. the dedication involved in the life we were living, which I had never been involved in such a life before, you know, of constant prayer and study and fraternity with the other seminarians and the great models of the priesthood we had on the faculty at the time, including Mm -hmm. Archbishop Vigneron, who was the rector or the head of the seminary at the time. Um, It was really great. I had wonderful friends and new experiences and got to travel. You know, we went to Mexico my first year to study Spanish. And um, I went to Brazil my second year for a missionary experience. And then um, on a European pilgrimage because the Holy Land was not, um, it wasn't safe enough to travel there for our normal Holy Land pilgrimage. But anyway, had all these incredible experiences and the fraternity and activities and just the constant enrichment through prayer and study, I thought it was fantastic. Now, like all things, it became a little more dry as time went on and I became more used (laughs) to it. And, you know, the rhythm of life stays the same for a while. Um, But I always loved it. And it really did help me to know what the priesthood would be like and to make a commitment to it, you know, because I was always, you know, striving to grow closer to the Lord, to know him better, to love him more, and um, to, you know, live the life as much as you can approximate that in an environment like the seminary. I mean, it's not exactly like a parish, for example, but at least you have that kind of regimen of prayer and um, apostolic work and that sort of thing. And, um, so I found it to be a really good environment. I mean, it had its challenges for sure, but um, I enjoyed my years in the seminary a lot. Now, did you do CPC at, at your time there? Because we didn't have that, where you went to a hospital, oh, hospital ministry. Yeah. We did. Um, and I, that was a wonderful experience in terms of the ministry to the patients. Um, the rest of it was okay. So, <laughs> Maybe that's uh, why we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, that is why you didn't. Well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what was cool for us is like, you know, you talk about, you know, looking at holy priests and, and wanting to be like them. I mean, I could remember just your class, you know, as being a little bit ahead of me, we looked up to you and even in the refectory, which is a fancy name in the seminary for cafeteria of like, you know, you get to sit down at a table with like you and a couple of your classmates. I was like, I got, I got to sit at the cool table and, you know, and joke around and and hear what these guys that are now in second theology or third theology are at and what they're doing. It was, it was really cool. It was um, Mm -hmm. special to me. So um, even, even as a seminarian, um, you have a great role of, of just, letting other people know um, or just being a witness to other people and people will see that in you, that love of God in your life. Uh, I can remember the year before you left, we had, uh, it was Holy Week. And I just remember you sitting down reading scripture uh, in front of our uh, chapel of repose and just 
I just remember that. I don't know. There was something really um, um, special about that, that your love for, as you said, the word and you being there with the Lord and sort of, sort of like the Garden of Gethsemane and the Chapel of Repose was, um, oh, it was really special, kind of cool. You know, most of us grow up in environments where even if our families are devout Catholic families, we're not growing up surrounded by other people, other men who are seriously considering priestly vocations. It would be fairly unusual to grow up in that kind of environment. And so to come into a community of these awesome men who are pursuing the Lord's will in the same way that you are is tremendously reinforcing to your vocation. Um, yeah. As you say, there are, it, your life is filled with countless moments of inspiration even if it's subconscious, you know, you, you see somebody else praying really devoutly or, you know, someone else gives a reflection that gives you a new insight into scripture or what asks a good question in class or, you know, you just see the daily faithfulness of the other men and it inspires mm -hmm. you to do the same. And that's one of the challenges, as we all know, when you go off into the parish, you know, for the first few years, you probably live with other priests, but then often you live on your own. And so one of the hopes of families and parishes is that that's going to bring priests closer together in community so that mutual mm -hmm. fraternal reinforcement can happen again, um, because it really does help, especially in a world where, again, there are so many forces acting against fidelity mm -hmm. to a priestly vocation. Yeah. Yeah. Even just for myself, I'm living with three other guys, of course, Father David as well. And, you know, I just got back from the retreat that I was on and, and sitting and talking to Father David about that was just, you know, we sat for 45 minutes just talking yeah. instead of me with my dinner in front of, you know, the TV watch and, you know, the office or something like that. It just, it was a good thing. And I and I think, yeah, we, we certainly influence each other. Um, yeah. You know, Father Fox, you want to talk maybe a little bit about what formation is and what formation is like in the seminary? I guess a, a guy might want to know, like, what is expected of me when I actually do make it into the seminary? What is formation? What is formation? What does it look like? And what are those four pillars that I hear about? Sure. So formation is a word like discernment that we use a lot and sometimes forget to define for people. It's really about development as a man of God first, and then as a priest, according to the priesthood of Jesus Christ second. So, I mean, it's all priestly formation, but there is a sense in which the first stage of it is just to help all of the men who come to the seminary grow in their own discipleship, their own following of Christ in their lives. So, developing habits of prayer, habits of study, uh, the human qualities that are, you know, conducive to flourishing as a Christian, being polite. I mean, even something as simple as that. We all have rough edges um, that need to be smoothed out. You know, I remember in very early in my time in the seminary, I was talking about my own experience coaching sports in CYO, and I referred to another school's team as our enemies. And one of the formators at the time said to me, I think you mean rivals. Now, that was a very subtle point to make, 
but it stuck with me all these years. And there are a thousand moments like that when your rough edges are getting smoothed and you become a better person because of that. But you could live your whole life without being corrected in that way. And, um, you know, even in the best of families, you know, there's, as Rod Stewart once said, all the wisdom of a lifetime, no one can ever tell. And so, you know, your parents only have so many years with you. And, uh, and so you need, all of us need more formation, more polishing, more development. So the, that's what those first years are really about. And then as you move into the graduate school of theology, it becomes much more intensively about preparing to become a pastor, a leader, a priest, mm -hmm. rather than merely a disciple. Um, the presumption is you have already been pretty well formed as, as a disciple by that point. And now's the time to work on, um, so to get into your question about the four dimensions of formation, you know, you have the spiritual, the intellectual, the apostolic, and the human. And each of those aspects or dimensions of formation is really essential. I mean, spiritual for obvious reasons, uh, intellectual, because in order to love Christ, you have to know him, at least something mm -hmm. about him. And then the more you know him, the more apt you are, the more prepared you are to love him better um, and to speak about him to others and help them to know and love Christ. Uh, then the apostolic, you know, make sure you have a pastor's heart, that mm -hmm. you love people, that you want what's best for them, that you want their salvation, that you're willing to be self-sacrificial in serving them. All of that's essential, that you can give leadership, you know, that you can be a good follower or a good leader. And then the human is easy to overlook, but is really important because sometimes you have a strong spiritual life and maybe decent leadership skills and could be very bright, but you have a personality which acts as an obstacle to those good qualities you have, kind of locking them inside because people don't want to get to know you and they don't really want to spend time with you and you don't necessarily want to spend time with them. And so um, it's really helpful to grow in human qualities that make you, to use the cliche, um, more of a bridge than a wall. Uh, another image I like to use is, you know, because I have um, arterial blockages that require stents, um, you know, that sometimes lack of human formation can kind of choke off the spiritual life of the priest and his effectiveness as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so, again, working on simple things like etiquette, how to relate to people, how to have a conversation, even to make chit chat, you know, not everything has to be profound. Um, but it's often in those little human moments that you open the door to grace. Or if you don't do that, well, you close the door, because people turn away from you. Um, and so that kind of formation is also important. And so those, you know, four years of theology studies, are really about growing in each of those areas precisely into not just discipleship, but the priesthood, leadership, pastoring. Yeah. And like Father David was saying a couple episodes ago that, you know, even the friends that he knew that left the seminary because he was in a very large class when he started off that, 
you know, not everybody makes it eight years through the seminary is that they came out better men, you know, like they're still yes. getting an education of what it is to be a real man. And and part of being a real man is sacrificing yourself and, and to be able to work on yourself and to be humbled, to know that you're, you're not the best thing since sliced bread and you're going to make mistakes and you need to work on that. And it's hard sometimes, especially in, in our culture and our world today that says, you know, you can do anything you want. You're the best. You're, you're, here's a, here's a trophy for waking up today. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, we need to work on ourselves. And I think that's part of, of what it means to not only be a good man, but also to be a good disciple. And then hopefully if we move on in the seminary, as you're saying, Father Fox, to, to become a man of God and to represent Christ to the people, especially as we are, are, are administering the sacraments. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good stuff there. So what would, what would you say? So a lot of the guys who would be listening to this right now, uh, you know, if they were to apply to the seminary, like what is it that formation is looking for or what is it that the admissions board is looking for in a man who's applying to the seminary today? Looking for a man who can live our program with reasonable peace and joy and a sense of community that he's going to fit in well with the other men um, that he has the intellectual ability to, you know, engage in the academic program, um, that he has the stability of personality, again, that he'll be a good member of the community and has the potential to grow into being a good pastor. But no one should be intimidated by that. Um, the biggest mm -hmm. thing is you have a sense of confidence that God is calling you to the priesthood or at least to give it this more intensive try. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into when I applied for the seminary. I had no idea whether I qualified or not. You know, And so that's what we're here for, is to help you through that process. Um, I had zero idea of what seminary life would be like. When I arrived, I hadn't read many significant books. I had no familiarity with the daily schedule of the seminary. I mean, I just didn't know anything. Then I remember having a conversation with um, the vice rector at the time, Monsignor Halfpenny, and I expressed my concern that I knew so little, and some of the other guys seemed to know a lot about what was going on and have read a lot of books and all that. And he said, you know what? This can be a strength. I mean, you come in here ready to learn, ready to be formed, ready to, you know, live the program and to work with us and we'll work with you and, you know, we'll make you a good priest. And that gave me a lot of confidence. And certainly that's the attitude we take as formators, that we're willing to work with somebody and want to work with somebody um, in order to help them become good priests and maximize their potential. Yeah. And what's good is it's, just looking at your life and how you lead and you've helped me out when I was at a pastor at a parish and, you know, they really loved your preaching. And I think you're very personable and you're able to explain things in a particular way. You have a humor and uh, God uses you, your uniqueness and your gifts for his glory. So I think a lot of times people think, men think that if I come to the seminary, somehow what makes me 
me is going to be squashed, you know, and, and that's not necessarily true. In fact, usually the gifts that the Lord has given us, instead of using them for just regular purposes, the Lord can use them for, for his great graces. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things I can think about, um, Father David brought this up of uh, like what you did for Formation Saturday. You want to explain, Father David, what Father Fox <laughs> did for Formation Saturday? Uh, yeah. So in, in seminary, uh, uh, once a month or so, um, we have Formation Saturday. That means the morning, there's going to be usually a talk by one of the priests, um, and it can be on any aspect of formation. So it could be human, could be spiritual, um, could be something more intellectual. Usually not so much that, though. That's usually um, covered in the classes throughout the week. Um, and, you know, it's it's Saturday morning, and sometimes it's been a long week, and uh, and, you know, you get up earlier than maybe you you would have liked on Saturday uh, to get to formation. Um, but Father Fox was always really good about trying to make it interesting and engaging. And uh, one of the ways he did that, uh, one, of the, one of the formation Saturdays, and I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, uh, <laughs> but you used um, lots of pictures and references to 80s wrestlers. And I just remember, I remember a slide on the board with Hulk Hogan on it. And that was our formation Saturday. And uh, it kept our attention very well, you know, and it it taught in a way that was, you know, humorous and got your points across. But I will, I will never forget that Father Fox. I'm glad to have made such an impression on you. I I hope someday you remember the topic of the formation. You know, Jesus spoke in parables and 1980s wrestling provides an apt metaphor for the spiritual life. (laughs) Well, Father Fox, just uh, quiz you a little bit. How many uh, 80s wrestlers can you name right now? Because it was funny. Uh I was just watching a documentary on uh, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage. And uh, all these different wrestlers came up like, I forgot about him. I forgot about him. And they all had their own kind of little schnick of, of what they did. Uh, can you name some of them right now off the top of your head? Gosh, you I mean, favorite? I wasn't ready for this, but <laughs> Hulk, well, that's the Hulk thing. Hogan, Junkyard Dog, King Harley Race, Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik. Um, oh, I forgot about the British Iron Bulldogs. Sheik. <laughs> they count as two. Um, yeah. Hillbilly Jim. Um, Jimmy Superfly Snooka, Tito Santana, um, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, um, let's see, uh, King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant. Of course, I, I sure I said Hulk Hogan at the beginning. Yeah, he was did. my favorite. Junk. I did say Junkyard Dog. I'm going to start repeating yes, myself. Yes. Um, okay. Let's see. <laughs> Hacksaw Jim. Duggan. Hacksaw was Jim Duggan. Um, the Undertaker. Rick Who's the guy Blair, who ate the turnbuckle? Uh, George the Animal Sorry. Steel, very important wrestler. Uh, he's, actually, he's actually from Michigan, so was he really? Yeah, I think he was from Madison Heights. Um, he also had a green tongue. I always tried to eat candy, candy that would give me a green tongue, like George the Animal Steel. Um, and of course, he was in love with. Uh, wow. There was a Beauty and the Beast uh, storyline where he was in love with the lovely Elizabeth, who was the manager of Macho Man Randy Savage. Randy Savage, yeah. There was also (laughs) Bobby the Brain Heenan and um, Mr. Fuji. Now I'm getting into managers. And um, the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. 
Jimmy Hart. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's amazing. A lot of like, legends. I don't remember half of those. And even in the documentary, they didn't mention half of those. <laughs> so I am, I am 23. Oh, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Oh, wow. Rowdy Rowdy yeah, Piper. Very, yeah, very important. Is that 24? Yeah. These are the great do you figures. Remember, do you remember when Andre the Giant um, turned on Hulk Hogan? And body slammed him. That was like a major shocker for everybody. Or was it the opposite? No, he way betrayed Hulk Hogan on an episode of Piper's Pit, which was the <laughs> semi-regular talk show of Rowdy Roddy Piper. And that culminated, and he tore the crucifix off of Hulk Hogan's chest. Oh. So there was a deep religious symbolism as well. And Hulk Hogan ended up body slamming Andre the Giant in the body slam heard round the world. At the Pontiac Silverdome in 1987 wow. in WrestleMania 3, which had the largest indoor uh, audience of any event in human history until the visit of Pope John Paul II to the Pontiac Silverdome, wow. which outdid wow. WrestleMania 3. So that's amazing. We are, we are swimming at the deep end of the pool right now. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, we're almost on an hour here, though. So, um, you know, anything that you want to just mention to men that are discerning, like, you know, what should they not be doing? Any good advice that you would like to give? Anything that you would like to share with them? Don't be afraid to take the next step, whatever yeah. that next step is for you. Um, yeah. Don't sit on the fence forever, you know. Take the next step forward. Move with Christ. Get closer to him. Um, ask him what he wants you to do. You know, the two questions that helped me the most were to think it's not so much a choice between A and B, between this vocation and that vocation, but which is a deeper choice of Jesus? You know, which option for me represents a deeper choice of Jesus Christ? And the other one is when I'm closest to God— to what option do I feel drawn? To what vocation do I feel drawn? Mm -hmm. And those were the two kind of questions that really set me on my course for the priesthood. And so yeah. that's what I'd encourage in men is pray a lot, ask those questions, and take the next step. Yeah, that's awesome. Father Charlie, it's been wonderful talking with you. This has been a great conversation, and you brought up so many other things that I personally would have never thought of bringing up and in your wealth of knowledge, not only about the priesthood and about faith, but also about 80s wrestlers is amazing. <laughs> so it all thank fits you for together with us. <laughs> That's right. That's really right. great to be well, with you. Yeah. Likewise. Father David, did you have any last questions for Father Fox? Uh, I don't think so. Just uh, it's good to talk to you again, Father. And uh, thanks for thanks for being with us on this podcast. It's great to see yeah, you. Too. Father Fox, you want to you want to lead us in uh, prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and the hearts of all of our listeners, that we might know your will and have the faith, hope, love, and courage to do your will in all things. Form our hearts after the sacred heart of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and help us always to stay close to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and, and of the, the Holy, Son, Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's been such a blessing. Thank you. Great to be with you. God bless you. Bless you too, Father. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com.